When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening, live or archived, we're so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday, October 21st, and we recap a six-overtime victory for Virginia Tech over North Carolina. Our crew today is the same as always. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set, our founder and head honcho across the way, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman. I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, we are so glad everyone could be with us for what is going to be a thrilling podcast. I can promise you that today. <laughs> we'll do our best. We it's going to be a six overtime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going till noon today. <laughs> This week and every week, the TSL Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Guys, good morning to you as we record on this Monday morning. I have been, as I'm sitting in Lane Stadium on Saturday at about the fourth overtime, I'm thinking to myself, we are going to have an awesome <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah. on Monday, whatever happens. And uh, thankfully for Virginia Tech, they win. That makes the podcast a little more sweeter today. Uh, but just want to kind of open things up with uh, recapping what was a just wild weekend in Blacksburg. I'm going to go back to what Chris said a couple weeks ago against Miami. He goes, I think every team is kind of in for one of those games once every five years. <laughs> Hokies have had two in the last month. So, yeah. uh, Will, I know you had a, a wedding this weekend. How was the wedding in South Carolina? <laughs> as I said before we started recording, not as good as a six-overtime game. Yeah, so, so everybody knows where I'm coming from. Uh, I was out of town all weekend. At a wedding in South Carolina, uh, my formerly favorite niece got married. She's now at the bottom of my list for scheduling her wedding <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> uh, she forgot to check with me, you know, but uh, no, she's a sweet girl and she's very busy with med school. So this is basically her, the only slot that they could fit it in. Um, didn't get home till uh, to Radford until eight o'clock Sunday night. So I've been able to watch the condensed version of the game on YouTube. Now I did get to watch the game. So we had a rental place down there in Kiowa and um, it was Kiowa Island, South Carolina is where the wedding was. And I, in addition to a niece getting married Friday, I had her sister had her birthday Saturday. So there was a birthday party for her elsewhere. So I stayed back in our rental place and watched the game by myself on a 50 inch high definition television with standard definition service. Yeah. Which baffles me to no end. I, you know, I don't know. These, these are very expensive rental places with nice TVs, and they go for the standard deaf service. I guess I shouldn't complain. At least I got to watch the game. 
Um, but there were times where I'm like, I can't tell who's in the game for tech because I can't read their numbers, you know. But I did get a chance to see the whole thing, watched it myself. So um, that's my deal. I did watch the game, watch the condensed replay, and but really haven't had a chance to, you know, go through all the stats or the box score or anything like that. Chris, uh, can you just – how about before we get into the game and just as an overview from the weekend to Lane Stadium being full all the way till the end – how do you put into words this weekend, Saturday, for Virginia Tech? Yeah, I thought it was uh, it was big for everybody. It was big for the players to have continued success because everybody thought they were done after the Duke game, right? I mean, I thought they were done. Uh, most people thought they were done. Uh, I, I thought that whatever issues Fuente and the players had in the offseason, I thought they were fixed, but I also thought that they were a couple of bad things happening away from going back down hill again and I assumed that was happening when they kind of checked out against Duke in the second half of that game clearly that was not the case he clearly didn't lose the players they've played really really hard ever since then and have come away with uh with two big wins so to me it's winning a game like that it's you know continued confidence from the players and it puts the fan base in a better mood also I mean the Duke game was less than a month ago it seems like ages ago now. And yeah, so, I think that's so, and, fair. Yeah, and, and so, some, some football seasons are like that, where something really bad happens or something really good happens, and then all of a sudden things turn in the opposite direction. Uh, like a, let's think back to that 2003 Miami game. What a great moment in time that was, right? Three weeks later, we're sitting there like, oh, did we actually just beat Miami on national television on Saturday night three weeks ago? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, so as, they're, as Temple is missing an extra point in overtime. In overtime, to, right. To, to, give to, tech to hand Virginia Tech a win. Their only win after beating Miami that yeah. year. Um, so seasons can change on a dime. Um, things will probably normalize from here on out. But uh, being 5-2 and two right now, who would have guessed that after the first four games of the season? You know, I, I was uh, – I, I think since you brought it up, I was thinking about this. And if, if, if you had told me at this point Virginia Tech would be 5-2. and two, um, And in control of their own destiny in the ACC Coastal race. Yeah, yes. I, 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 I thought best-case scenario is probably 6-1. and one. You know, I, I, I had chalked up that Miami game as a loss just because their defense was returning so many guys, you know, and I thought they – I don't know. I just thought they would be a better program. Let's not analyze Miami, you know, because we're not talking about them. I was thinking six and one might be best case scenario. When you look at the five and two record, you're like, no, they're almost there. Um, they've gotten there a weird way, you know, but but they're there and they're still, like you said, in control of their destiny. So I'm going to make this point before we really get into the game. So this summer, Tech sideline evolving as they always do, creating new ways to uh, reach the fan base, and they come out. You guys come out with stick it in ale, which right. is sitting right here on our <laughs> podcast set, and then after. A decade of the chance stick it in. Twelve years. Being That's away, uh, it returned against North Carolina. And I think for some people deep down, that was like the cherry on top for this game because there are some diehard fans of that chant. So, so how, ma- how many times did they actually play it? That wasn't clear watching on Well, television. you know, Tech's first touchdown <laughs> was a 55-yard bomb, so they weren't in the red zone. We're playing it then. Um I want to say they played it three times or so. Okay. I think it was when Tech – Quincy was in the game. We'll get to that in a minute. And they settled for the field goal. Right, right. The first time – that's the first time they played it, I think, was in the second half 
Uh, Tech drove all the way down inside the 10, but got stopped and had to go for a field goal. So, ironically, the first time the band played Stick It In, we they did, did not, not Stick It In. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is uh, true. But, but, yeah, they played it a few times. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how many of the students actually know what it what it is. Well, but, I was sitting in the uh, West, Will, and I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of fans there that know – I mean, it came on, and it was like the, it, people picked up right where right. they left off. I mean, like, I was really surprised how many people – Still, and and I don't remember it when I was younger, but just hearing it, it's on YouTube. And I went onto the YouTube link last night to listen to it, and there were comments people like 18 hours ago, like it's back. I just wanted to come here and leave that comment. So I was surprised how many people actually still remembered the words and how to dance to it. It's like getting getting right back on a bicycle, huh? That yeah. that that's really cool, and I'm and I'm sorry I missed that, you know. And so, what question do you want to ask me, Evan? <laughs> Uh, the stick it in ale. Do you think that had any coincidence, coincidence or, not? or not? I mean, um, everybody who knows me knows that, uh, and there are some people listening who hate me who will disagree with this statement. I'm I'm not an arrogant guy. I'm a fairly humble guy, and but I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that you know there was a lot of social media traction over this. You know, the we we did our event up in Northern Virginia in July. Days after that, there were people lined up outside Beltway Brewing Company to buy it, and that got some play on Facebook and Twitter. It's gotten a lot of play since then. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that the conversation started, and where did it go from there? You know, Am I going to take credit for it? No. But I, I, you know, all, all kinds of things go into a, whatever made this happen, whoever made this decision, all kinds of things go into that. And I, I don't think it's fair to say that watching the the enthusiasm on social media for the stick it in ale and the chant in general uh, might have played a part in it. Yeah, uh, I heard the band initiated it. Like the band went to the athletic department and said, we want to do this, is what I understand. Right. I, I heard this was going to happen before the game. I, I tailgated right next to the band building, right before the game. And one of our subscribers came up to me and said, you've heard the rumor, right? What rumor? Yeah, we hear lots of rumors. Which one? Yeah, yeah, which one are we talking about here? <laughs> and uh, um, but then she said, uh, "The rumor is the band's going to play Stick It In today," and I'm like, "Huh, that's an interesting rumor. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. I didn't know whether to really believe it or not." And then, bam! I had forgotten about it by halftime, and then boom, they start playing it there, yeah. and I'm like, "Whoa, she wasn't kidding." And how about this? Coincidence or not? Since the Terror Gnome is on the podcast set with his little lunch pail, mm-hmm. the Okies are three and zero. Yeah, the Terror so, Gnome is undefeated. So, without further ado, let's dive into it. We've yeah. talked about sticking in ale, sticking in coming back, the environment. Hokies 43-41 winners over North Carolina in six overtime. The game-winning two-point conversion. The first game to go to the new NCAA overtime rules, which we'll get to in a minute, but. We talked about what it meant for Virginia Tech. I want to ask this question. Chris, you were there for the whole thing. Will, you saw the condensed version. Where does that rank for you guys in terms of greatest games in Lane Stadium history? It's certainly up there. Um, I guess uh, as far as the ones I've been to personally, the 2001 Miami game, which Tech lost, it was was an excellent game. the 2011 Miami game with the Logan Thomas run was awesome. And, and it's, it's kind of weird because for that 2011 Miami game, I sat in the front row behind the visitor's bench on about the 40-yard line. The other team failed a fake punt 
right in front of me. And then this game, I sat about on the 40-yard line in the front row behind the visitor's bench, and they failed at a fake punt right in front of me. So the similarities are kind of crazy. Yeah. Like we should start funding to get me front row seats. <laughs> Hashtag right. get Chris yeah. Coleman to the 40-yard line. Exactly. Um, it's up there. I mean, it's definitely top five. I mean, I don't have a list off the top of my head. Well, okay, so let's, let's do the list. Uh, uh, the 99 Boston College game, 2001 Miami, 2003 Miami, mm-hmm. 2009 Nebraska, Nebraska, 2011 Miami. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing a trend here. You know, the, and the, some of those, it's like the 2009 Nebraska game. Everybody remembers the end. Okay, the first 58 minutes of that game were, quite frankly, boring. Incredibly frustrating. Frustrating now, now and boring. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Had I known at that point in time how good Nebraska's defensive line was, yeah. I would have been much cooler about that game. Yeah. As, as it was, you know, Virginia Tech had, had fallen into a habit of struggling on offense, and there they were struggling on offense. Right. Turns out, you know, Nebraska Dominican had some really good, good They had guys Prince on Mukamara on the Mukamara second. Yeah. Yeah. They were really and and they had Jared defense. Crick playing with and Dominic yeah. and Sue. I mean, you know, that I would, I would, if I could go back again, I would view that more as a clash of, of Titans of, of, you know, you got Tyrod Taylor on Virginia Tech's side and Ryan Williams going against some future excellent NFL players for Nebraska. I would have viewed it differently. Yeah. It's yeah. a good point. So, yeah. I mean, I was asking some people after the game to try and get perspective for the podcast, and that I believe was the 03 Miami game when they were ranked number two. That was one that yeah. a lot of people kept bringing up and to I, me. And I, I have trouble actually viewing that game in a positive because, light yeah. because of what happened afterwards. I mean, Tech stunk up the joint the rest of the season. They were awful. Their only win after that game was when Temple missed an extra point in overtime. Otherwise, Virginia Tech very well might have been winless after that Miami game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a season that everybody wants to forget because they tanked it down the stretch. And one of the reasons people are so upset about how Tech finished that season is because they beat Miami 31-7. to So, to me, that's one of those moments in time where, yeah, that was a great moment in time, but you didn't build on it. So, it just doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah, and no, that, that's I, just, I, my, I just my personal I don't quite feel the same way that does take some out of it, you know, and – and certainly the 2005 Miami game up until the, the opening kickoff. Up until the opening kickoff, the 2005 Miami game was the Actually, best game up in Actually, up until the moment <laughs> where Marcus Vick overthrew a wide-open David Clowney. That was very that. early in the game. Clowney was behind Miami's defense. Yeah. Vick just didn't even get in in the same zip code. Yeah. And from that moment on, it was bad. Yeah. Well, listen, there's one thing that we will remember about the North Carolina game, and that is that Virginia Tech used all three of their quarterbacks – and the the player that we have spent so much time talking about over the last year of doing the Tech Sideline podcast has been Quincy Patterson, the Elite 11 quarterback. And yeah. would he see the field? Who would have thought against North Carolina that it would have been Quincy who comes in and runs for over 100 yards and leads Virginia Tech to victory? I'll start with the quarterback room, but specifically Quincy. Will, what did you make of his effort coming in off the bench? I thought, and I'm, I'd be interested in getting Chris's thoughts on this, I thought Quincy was exactly what we thought he was. Uh, it, the, the one thing that, I, that was different that I was very pleased about was, and, and I've said this on the podcast before, that if I could give him one piece of advice, it would be run harder. When we had seen him previously, he was just kind of unsure of himself. I thought he ran with authority, you know, and I thought if that guy, and he's, he's up on the TV screen here, if that guy at 250, and we've seen his high school film, I thought he had good speed. The yeah. speed didn't really surprise me. I think it was actually a little faster than I thought. You know, so I, th- I thought if he just would get out there and run with authority, that uh, that would be a part of his game that we really enjoy. And 
I think there's a lot of truth to it. If you go back and watch the highlights of him running the football, there were times where North Carolina didn't want to tackle him. No, they, I mean, it, it didn't take long for them to figure out, I don't want to hit this guy. There was one you point know? he came near the sideline on UNC side, and I was right there in the front row, and then he turned it upfield, and I'm like, why would anybody want to get in front of that? That's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I thought from a running standpoint that he finally fulfilled the promise of what we saw watching his high school film. From a passing standpoint, he, um, you know, we only saw, saw him throw the ball six times. He was three for six for 54 yards, I think. Um, and I think we saw the other thing we thought we knew, that we saw a couple of nice passes. The, t- the touchdown pass to Damon Hazleton was just a dime that Quincy's like, yeah, hey, we do that all the time in practice. Um, there were one or two other throws that I thought were iffy, you know, but he did make one, and Chris talked about this in his article yesterday, roll right, throw back across the field uh, to Robinson, Tavion Robinson. I thought Quincy was who we thought he was, and I thought the play calling, you know, he ran it 21, t- 21 times he ran it, and he only passed it six. And so I thought all of that, uh, he didn't turn it over, which was great, but I, I thought I thought it all kind of played out if, if you know about if you thought you knew about Quincy that that's the way it would play out. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, he is who we thought he was, I think through, uh, through that first game. Uh, very, you know very good runner, um, can execute the running game. Big time arm. I mean that play where he rolls right and Robinson is coming from the right to the left on a crossing pattern. And that wasn't like just some improvisation by Quincy. That was a design play yeah. for him to roll right and then throw back left. You don't. That play is not even in the playbook if if you don't think he's got a, an NFL arm, right? Like I don't think it's in there for Hooker. It might be in there for might, Willis. Could be in there for. I wouldn't trust Willis to make that throw. To me. But, but, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got he's got the arm strength. But but uh, but yeah, uh, Quincy. Yeah, that showed all the ability that we thought he had. Now. What I want to point out with regards to play calling, I know people were getting frustrated about. I, I think I know where you're going. Continuous runs, yeah. Okay, uh, you're not going where I thought you were going. But okay, go ahead. well the fact that they didn't let him throw it all that much, um, some of that is you know he's not the best passer in the world right now. He's a great thrower. He's inconsistent. Right, right. But uh, some of it is he's a third string quarterback, and you don't rep the third string quarterback very much as far as in your game plan for the for the opposition that week. You rep your top two quarterbacks. They probably get 95% of the snaps in preparation for the upcoming opponent because just the, the chances of you actually having to use your third quarterback are so minuscule that, that it's, it's, it's a bad bet to, to waste practice time on repping your third-team quarterback in preparation for the upcoming opponent. At that opponent. point, you're, so, just, you're just winging it. Right, right, so, right. So he had not been part of the installation process for the plays that Virginia Tech had installed for this game. So they had to cut dial it back just to the plays that they knew he could run and execute and things like that. Now, if he has to start against Notre Dame, if, if Hooker's out for any extended period of time, things will look different. Yeah. You know, he was on pace to run the ball over 40 times against Notre Dame if he'd played, or excuse me, against UNC if he'd played a full game. He's not going to run it over 40 times against, against Notre Dame if he has to start. The offense will look a little bit different because it will be installed – with him in mind as the starting quarterback and with him getting all the reps and everything like that. And, and I think at this point it's clear that he's going to be number two from now on, right? I mean, Willis is 
I don't see the point of, of continuing so to throw too. him out there. So I, I do want to kind of – typically we don't kind of go piece by piece in this game, but I think in order to kind of dissect the game, we kind of have to do kind of go quarter, quarter to, yeah. to overtime. So let, let's start with this. Now, first of all, let me interrupt and say we forgot to give, our, give love to our uh, podcast sponsor. We forgot to open with the Fisher Law Firm. No, he no, did. Did he do he it? Did. Yeah. He did it. Where was my head? I don't know. <laughs> I was just. But you know, we are presented each and every week by the Fisher, <laughs> by the Fisher Law, Law Firm. Firm. So, yeah, great so reminder. anyway, continue. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Hendon Hooker, eight of 12, 127 yards and a touchdown. I'd agree. The the pump fake and then the throw down the sideline. Trey Turner. And I was listening to Coach Fuente post game with uh, Mike Burnup, and he was talking about how after the fumble, he actually really felt like Hooker was really settling into a groove Man. and was playing very well on offense. He so was. let's take this quarter by quarter because Hooker just before the half, you know, if you actually watch the replay when he hands off to McLeach for the touchdown, he comes up a little gingerly walking to the sideline. I, I noticed a limp, just a little bit coming to the sideline. And then he comes back out. And then after second and goal, he dives up the middle, and he comes out. Willis comes in and throws the touchdown. We'll get to Willis in a second, but Hooker, 8 of 12, 127 yards. How did you think he performed and the offense was playing? Uh, he was really good. Um, I said it yesterday that the UNC game was his biggest challenge because it was a well-coached defense that had two games of film. You know, Miami was the most talented defense that he's faced and the most experienced, but they weren't ready for him. Rhode Island doesn't really count. That's an FCS opponent. But my, but North Carolina had two games of film to study, and he was still very, very good against them. I mean, two two of his four incompletions were drops. I thought he was highly efficient. Um, he was just looking more and more like a good college quarterback. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that he got hurt. Really is a shame because I thought he was really starting to hit his stride. Uh, now watching impressive. that thing on television, you know, then I, I noticed when he went down, he laid on the ground for a little bit. The tech trainers were sprinting on the field. They were probably a third of the way from the sideline to Hooker, and then he got up, and then they they, they must have seen something because it wasn't something. You, first of all, the television angle live just it, it, the, the angle obscured his leg going out to the side like that. So live, you didn't notice it. Mm. Right. I just noticed he fell down. Took a little bit of time getting up. Then they ran a replay, and the announcers both went, "Whoa, you know, yeah. look at that. Oh, that's not good." Yeah, right. You know? And, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss about all three quarterbacks moving forward here shortly. So they bring in Willis, third and goal. Tech's trying to score, uh, and he comes in and throws a, a, just a beautiful ball to the back corner of the end zone. It's the Hazel one thing he does I mean, really I mean, well. Tech's never had a quarterback to throw the ball that fade as well as Willis does. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's extremely impressive that he's able to put the ball on the money every single time with that throw. And I thought it was decent coverage as well. Yeah, I mean, it really it was like – the ball kind of dropped in from a high angle. It was kind of like that Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary against the Giants a few years ago in the playoffs where it just kind of comes in from a very high angle and just drops right over the defensive back, and there's just not a lot he can do about it. And wasn't that preceded by that phenomenal pass to uh, James Mitchell it, down the sideline? It was. It was. Hooker yeah. with a beautiful yeah. throw. He had yeah. a pump fake on that, I believe. And so Hooker, so yeah. let, let's back up a little further than that. This was looking grim in the first quarter. It was uh, watching the condensed game last night, correct me if I'm wrong, it was ten nothing UNC, and they drove over they midfield. Mm-hmm. Correct. And you're just going, man. This this is not looking good. Yeah. And Tech got a stop, and I think forced a punt, and then went down and made it ten to seven. And that, that was the yeah. pass to, to turn. One of my a friend of mine who pretty knowledgeable football guy texted me when it's ten nothing UNC and said it's going to be a long day. 
in a bad way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't mean Tech's going to come he back. He doesn't mean, oh, guess what? It's about to go to six overtimes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so one of the one of the funnier things, if you're not on Twitter, you may have missed this. I went and I looked at the uh, at the ACC football schedule early in the week, um, where they where they listed on the ACC.com because I wanted to find the yeah. Game Info Center and find a listing of uh, TV affiliates. And I noticed when I looked at the the games for Saturday that it listed game times for all of the other games and for Tech's game against UNC. Literally, the game time was listed as all day. I've never seen anything like that. And this was like Monday or Tuesday, you know. And and Treadmill Horse on the, on Twitter dragged it back out because I put that on Twitter. And Treadmill Horse dragged it back out and said, "Turns out they were right." <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, very yeah. true about that. So you, no, Will, you're 100 percent right. I mean, the fumble exchange, Hooker early, ten nothing. UNC's driving. We'll talk about Sam Howell shortly. Who threw for five touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah. That guy's the real deal. Um, and again, Hooker. You know, again, he's been completing a high percent of his passes against Miami, Rhode Island. He did that. Willis comes in. Tech gets to halftime, leading. Come out in the second half. Quick three and out with three Willis. New NC marches down the field, takes a 24-21 lead. But maybe a turning point in this game because it gets to Quincy. Texan field goal range, long third down. Willis rolls out right. He's in trouble. He throws the ball over his head yeah. out of bounds. As he's being tackled. Intentional grounding. It knocks Tech out of field goal range. And then you could see Coach Fuente brought him over, had a calm conversation with him, and then in was Quincy Patterson. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how calm it was because when he, he was he was barking at Ryan when Ryan first came over to the sideline. I, th- I think it was that possession. Who knows? It may have been the one before that. And I, and I fussed on Twitter, you know, I'm like, you're yelling at Willis, you need to be yelling at Cornelson. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I, I just think, I think that something snapped finally, and Fuente just came to the conclusion that this guy just, when, when you pull an experienced quarterback, regardless of him making mistakes. One of your few seniors on the entire team. Yeah, and you insert a guy who's barely played at quarterback in a tight, important game, that's ballsy, you know. And, and you don't do that unless something in you has just snapped. And yeah. you're just like, this is not going to work. And and it's funny, Hendon went out, Ryan came in, and things got ugly quick. And I think Fuente just realized early on, to his credit. Now, I have some – I want to I want to segue – I want to go on a little bit of a yeah, tangent. Sure. Um, to his credit, man, that I thought that was the coaching move of the game was to pull Ryan Willis and, and put uh, um, Quincy Patterson in. Now, the the one thing that I do think Fuente needs to be raked over the coals for, and, and I've gotten text messages and emails and such about this, the decision to take a knee at the end of regulation at the 50-yard line yep. and not chuck it at the end zone and, and run a Hail Mary. I don't – sometimes I don't understand – and we see this a lot, not that particular scenario, but I think you see football coaches a lot of the times deciding, I'm just not going to try to score. They, they make that decision out of fear. So I'm watching that, and I'm going, what exactly was Fuente afraid of that he didn't let Quincy just chuck it downfield and then try a Hail Mary? And I'm, I'm thinking it through to myself, and I'm like, when was the last time you saw somebody throw a Hail Mary that resulted in the other team intercepting it and running 100 yards for a touchdown? The word never comes to mind. How many times do you see Hail Marys succeed? Well, I don't know, 5% of the time? Something, 10% of the time, maybe? I just saw one two weeks ago. What in the Why not just throw it at, and I literally got one of the longest texts I've ever gotten from a friend of mine full of <laughs> profanities, and this was well after the game, after Tech had won. I got a profanity-filled text from a buddy of mine. I was like, 
what was he thinking? So I just wanted to get that off my chest. I, 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 t- I tapped the guy next to me on the shoulder, and I said, well, Quincy finally gets to show off that arm right now. And then nope. he didn't. <laughs> he got to show off his knee. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, this is quite a different tangent. But uh, So Tennessee ended their game against Alabama taking a knee at the end of the game, right? They were losing by, you know, 20 or 30 or however they bad layout. Knee. They took a knee to end the game. So it's like the opposite of the victory formation, right? The, 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 the defeat the, formation. Was the, offense <laughs> in the shape flag. Of, was the offense in the shape of an L for <laughs> <Yeah>. losers? <laughs> it's very strange. Oh, my gosh. Quick side note. Did you see the Tennessee quarterback go over the goal line? He fumbled it and then Alabama took it 100 yards for a touchdown. No, I did not see that. Um, So I want to end the regulation with this because I do want to spend some time with overtime. I think a couple of things that have kind of forgotten that fourth quarter, the beautiful double reverse flea flicker touchdown for North Carolina, right? They go up (laughs) 31-24 with four minutes left, and Tech comes right back with that 53-yard touchdown run from Quincy Patterson. So to let's me, that, talk about that. I felt like, person, I'll tee it up for you, I thought that was a big step forward for this team. Again, the, in the face of adversity, down the stretch, at home, ranked opponent, thinking about Duke a couple weeks ago, I was in the stands, to come back with that touchdown yeah. and punch him right back in the mouth, that was another turning point in the game. And that, that was preceded by the play we were talking about, the throwback to Tavian Robinson for 22 yards. Yes. So I, I I did that thing of <clears throat> now I got very lucky I was out of town and and didn't think to check my DVR. Uh, uh, usually football games record for four to four and a half hours when I record them. I was worried that I didn't catch the end of this game, but the recording went five hours, so I got the whole thing. So I'm sitting there on DVR last night, and this, in addition to watching the condensed version on YouTube, I I did pull up the DVR and I watched that play at least ten times. And the things I noticed are. You go back and you watch Dalton Keene and James Mitchell uh, get both getting good blocks. Uh, I'm sure the O-line's in there getting good blocks, too. Brian Hudson played a, an excellent game. Yes, he did. Um, there, was, there were one or two UNC guys that took a, took a bad, uh, bad angle or made bad reads. Um, and that springs Quincy. And you're not paying attention if that didn't remind you of Logan Thomas's run against Miami in 2011. A quarterback, a huge quarterback, running down the field all by himself. No defenders in the frame while the crowd goes bananas. Was that the same end zone that Logan ran to as well? Same end zone, man. Just It was very cool, you know. And the other thing that's kind of subtle that I haven't seen anybody talking about yet is – and, and it was only shown momentarily on replays. Uh, Damon Hazleton is running to Quincy's left. Uh, Trey Turner was running down the sideline to Quincy's right, pinwheeling his arms in excitement. It was really hilarious to watch. Well, you can tell that his teammates, I mean, they, they were fired up for Quincy. You know, they, yeah. they, they, they were really happy for him. And, uh, well, I mean, going back to that touchdown run, Chris, I mean, what were you thinking when they went down 31-24 off the flea flicker? And then were you expecting I, I that was, kind of response? I, I was concerned because, obviously, the offense was one-dimensional with Quincy in there. And I was concerned going into overtime as well because – The longer I, it goes, the harder it gets. The yeah. harder it gets because if you're one-dimensional. Right. You know, I, I was fine in there if it was tied, but I, I didn't really like the thought of being behind. Yeah. Um, but – it worked out, man. Uh, I thought when he broke off that run, I, you know, I was sitting so low that you don't really get a bird's eye view of it as you do if you're hitting, sitting up a little bit higher. But when I watched the replay, and Quincy said this after the game, he said, I didn't think I was going to make it through, but I guess I just found an extra gear and split those two defenders. 
those two UNC defenders, I don't think looked particularly interested in getting in front of him. I think maybe it was a different quarterback running the ball, even if that quarterback was had the exact same speed or anything like that. It's not sure those two uh, defensive backs were, I, I were also, all that interested in getting in front of him. I also think Quincy's explosion through the line surprised him. It, prob- I mean, it surprised did. me, yeah, yeah. you know, and – and and the other thing is he he was still twenty yards away from the end zone when this thought went through my head, and thus begins the legend of Quincy Patterson. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I thought, wow. Yeah, and it, well, yeah. The the crazy thing here is, obviously, he showed his potential, and people like Quincy. People really cheered when Quincy came into the game, um, and they did it when he came in for that one snap against Duke. Also, he got a got a big That's applause. Right. Yeah. Um, people really like Quincy. If Hendon Hooker continues on his current path, Hendon Hooker is going to be really good, right? right. So we got, I'm going to, we got arguably the most popular player on the team is the backup quarterback. Now, granted, the backup quarterback is generally the most popular player on the right. team. Ryan Willis used to be the most popular player on the team, <laughs> right. right? And I'm going to save that question. <laughs> I mean, seriously, You're, I'm going to save that question for the end about starting quarterbacks moving forward because it brings up an interesting point. And even for next year, you know, a lot of people are high on Braxton Burmeister. Word on the street, so it brings up certainly an interesting discussion. Yeah. But you know, uh, I, I just think over the next one to three years, there's going to be some portal action there. Oh you no, know? but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, and, and and I don't, you know, when it comes to quarterback, and and this gets said, uh, you know, when it comes to quarterback, and if you're not the starter, you know, it's not like they pull quarter, they don't rotate quarterbacks, right? So right. if you, if you wind up not being the starter, we know as observers and fans of the team that what happened with Hendon getting hurt and Quincy getting major player time, playing time that could happen any time, right? And you can get two guys hurt, but that's not going to keep three quarterbacks around. That no, no, so, sometimes, man. The timing on these things, it, it works out. I mean, if you were ever going to have to be down to your third-string quarterback, at least have it be right now, right? Yeah. Like, Ron Willis is third-string quarterback, but he's probably gonna, probably the best third-string quarterback we've ever had, right? Imagine if we'd had quarterback injuries in, like, 2009. Imagine if Tyrod Taylor goes down that year. Juju, Juju. Clayton's your backup. And then Logan Thomas is redshirting, right? And imagine, all right, imagine, like, what a disaster that could have been if Tyrod had gotten hurt that year. And his backup had gotten hurt. Right, right. Well, although Willis isn't hurt. He just got pulled. So sorry yeah, but for that. You, you, know, you know what I mean, though. If yeah. you're down to your third quarterback, um, I, I don't even know who it was back thing. then. Uh, it would have been Logan Thomas. They would have pulled the red shirt off of him. They were down to uh, – Don't pull um, any red shirts off with CC. I mean, the, Come on. Two, that 2001, <laughs> man. Remember when we only had – I think Tech only had two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster that year, Grant Knoll and Brian Randall? Randall was a true freshman. I think you're right. I mean, uh, there have been years, that spring game that Randall played, where he was literally the only healthy quarterback, and he played for both teams. Right. I mean, there have been times in the past where, you know, you don't really recognize this at the time because it didn't happen. But looking back, Tech was kind of teetering on the brink of disaster there with quarterback depth. Fortunately... Well, you're, you're leaving out the most obvious one, 1998, Nick Sorensen having, oh, having to start yeah. at Boston College. Oh, Are you familiar like, with that, that one, was the, the, like, Safety turn quarterback? Yes. Yeah, that was um, uh, Al Clark was hurt and Dave Meyer got, got hurt, hurt, so they had to pull Sorensen. Now, Sorensen had played a little quarterback. He played in the Gator Bowl in 97, and he play, I think he played quarterback in high school. Yeah, yeah. But but that's just classic Frank Beamer. The rest of the team is so strong that you pull a safety over to play quarterback and you win 17 nothing on the road. There's an example <laughs> of defense to offense. And then for North Carolina, Chas Surratt, quarterback turned uh, linebacker. He actually had a decent game. Yeah, it was uh, impressive. Had a bunch of tackles. Yeah, he's a good uh, player. 
Uh, I, think yeah. he, I think he had 17, just like Ashby. No, I think you're right, um, and was really, really active. You really noticed him out there. He, he'd come over and sit on the bench right in front of me. 17? And uh, let me talk about – I think people nitpick a lot. Like, I, I hope North Carolina fans aren't nit, nitpicking him like Tech fans nitpick certain players and certain coaches because he would come to the sideline and literally sit by himself and nobody would talk to him. Surratt? Yeah. Uh, now, sometimes you you run pictures of guys sitting on the bench by yourself, and, and, and then you start to nitpick. Oh, why is he sitting by himself? He, he must yeah. not be a good teammate. His teammates must not like him, blah, blah, blah. From what I can tell, I don't know. He just, I think he's just a quiet guy. Um, right. And he played a really good game, so I don't think I do. you can question it. But it, it, was, it was kind of odd, though. I, I, did, I will, will say that uh, Eugene Asante likes to talk. You probably don't know who Eugene Asante is. You know who Eugene Asante yeah, is. For a guy who's not a, playing, that guy likes to talk. But anyway, let's let's move so on. He, 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 he was a guy that Tech was in a pitched recruiting battle at the very end yeah. of the cycle. Yeah. And, Name does and, actually sound a little bit familiar. Yeah. Recently, right? In the last year or so. Oh, this past December. That's January. right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's let's continue on to overtime, and then we'll take a break and get to uh, Facebook Live questions. Um, going to overtime, North Carolina wins the toss. They defer, and... Virginia Tech comes out, and it looks like the first play, they throw with Quincy, slant over the middle with Turner, mm-hmm. nearly. That was a great play call, by the way. It was. Phenomenal um, play yeah. call. Uh, oh, it was, uh, you know, they did the they did the play fake. Uh, I don't know if it was an actual RPO or if it was a play action pass all the way. Right. But it was the same effect either way. That safety or linebacker, I forget which position he was, he totally bit up on the run action, oh, and yeah. they got single coverage behind him. It just didn't quite work. Yeah. Um, but th- that was a situation where, man, it was possible Tech could have won that in the first overtime, but yeah. it d- didn't yeah. quite work out. And then and then you go to – so both teams trade field goals, and then, of course, second overtime is where things really got interesting. One thing that we've kind of – we've focused so much on the offense, but one thing that started to progress as the game went along, the defensive line got very active. Darrell Pollard had a sack. Uh, it was incredible um, to get two. It was incredible, the stats. Jared Hewitt has three sacks for his career. Two and a half of them came on Saturday. He has six and a half tackles for loss for his career. Three of them came on Saturday. Yeah, Um and one of the sacks uh, uh, subtlety was came when Sam Howell threw the ball away and was charged with uh, intentional grounding. grounding. They award a sack to the the guy who had a grip on him, and that was uh, that was Hewitt. So the you know D line's coming along. We'll get to Khalil Ladler in a minute. No, no. If you're going to give D line credit, you got to give the the guys in coverage credit. But most of those were some of those sacks. were covered yeah, sacks. Yeah, we, we that, were sitting absolutely. back. Um, How in the world do you cover that well in a six overtime game when you got to be exhausted? And with Caleb Farley well, out, yeah, yeah uh, it was extremely impressive defensive performance by Tech. In all honesty. Uh, yeah, how many yards did Carolina have? Four hundred ninety-one. I think that both teams had about four ninety. Yeah, yeah. Well. It took UNC 89 plays, and that was 5.5 yards per play, which mm. would rank 87th in the country among offenses in yards per play. Yeah, so so it took them a, a lot, a lot of plays to get to that many yards. They hit a couple of deep balls, but that's what they do. Um, they they really stress you. You know, they, they have that sideline to sideline running game, and then they go over the top, and that really makes it stressful on safeties and. And we saw I jinxed him by writing an article about Jamari how well Connor. he'd been playing, but he, Jamari had a bad game against UNC. Well, they just they it, it, do you. 
I thought one of the touchdowns. I don't. I don't think it was fair to criticize him because he got picked. It was. A, it was a rub. It was a pick play. Um, not egregious enough to call. Tech does the same kind of thing all sure, the time. Yeah. You know. Um, I just thought you, you got. I think you got to give credit to the UNC coaching staff for. I never would have guessed before the game that if they were going to get a successful mismatch, it would be against Jamari Connor. Well, I shouldn't throw. They worked him, man. They yeah. threw it downfield. They did it the first play of game. Yeah. All right. So get this. Here are your stats. I'll put this in a, in a inside the numbers article tomorrow. But they targeted him ten times, completed nine of nine. Whoa! All right. The so first play, the first of the game. play of the game was the incompletion, and then after that, it was nine straight. Because I remember thinking to myself, "Well, that's oh, not they're a very, going after Connor. That's, that's not, not a smart good. That's them. not a good game plan to go after the best defensive player." <laughs> right. Yeah. It did turn out to be exactly. Um, so, so would you talk about coaching moves during the game? Bud Foster's decision. Khalil Ladler replaced Connor, correct? Yeah, and I don't know if that's injury related or some. They said or, he was dinged. Up. Yeah, Connor was dinged. Who up. knows? But, um, but Ladler had a couple shaky plays early, like uh, one of those UNC running backs made him look silly in the hole. But, at but one we, point. And, and I'm glad but, you brought that up because I wanted to mention that the Williams kid. We talked about that how guy was good. he's a load man, and you saw that two or three times. Yeah, uh, yeah. And their, I, and their running said, backs are excellent. I said, don't really criticize the Tech players if they can't tackle this guy because nobody can tackle this right. guy. Yeah. Yeah. And surprisingly, Williams only had 37 yards. It was Michael Carter who actually ended up having 11 carries, 91 yards, which I found I, I'd interesting. I'd love to have Carter on. Yeah, um, both those guys yeah. are, are good players. Our talented yeah. players. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad we gave the defense credit where credit's here because they're going to come up big here as we continue on to talk about overtime. But, but let's get right to it. Uh, the play I was going to say, Howell, he rolls to his right. So many times felt like Tech finally got pressure to him, but the one time they didn't, Receiver comes open right in front of the pylon, touchdown, and Tech's got a score. Fourth down, comes down to this, a timeout, and they dial up a fade to the end zone for Hazleton, who catches it with one hand, one essentially. Hand. The There's defensive on this. holding on the play, mm. but I want to talk about the play call out of the timeout. Were you expecting that play with the game on the line. I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but I also think I also, in hindsight, should not be surprised because I think that's Quincy's best throw. I think if anybody is as good as Ryan Willis at throwing that fade, it's Quincy. I mean, I saw him throw one in the spring game, and you're like, man, he can really throw that ball on the fade just like Willis can. And Hooker's not not as good in the fade. That, that's the one thing he doesn't do quite as well. So the red zone offense is going to look a little different under Hooker as it would uh, with the other two in the game. So, But it, it didn't necessarily surprise me, though. I mean, when you get single coverage out there on Hazleton, and that's Quincy's best throw, in hindsight, I'm not too surprised. Now, it was an interesting play because of the holding call. I saw the flag go up, and I couldn't tell if it was completed or not at first. Um uh, but I didn't realize until I watched the uh, watched the condensed game version afterwards that, I mean, he wasn't just holding him. I mean, he was holding his hand. He was still holding his hand after the play was over. I'm like, yeah. I mean. You can let go now. You he can let go him. now. The, the game's over. I mean, are you trying to take him to homecoming dance or something? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah oh but it was pretty egregious. So, well, so you, th- you think about that play, and f- college football seasons are, are 12 – Games long. Each team probably averages – you're probably talking 140, 150 snaps a game, so do the math. You're approaching 2,000 plays in a season. That play is the difference between being 1-3 and three in the ACC and being toast. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable that you can play a, 
close to 2,000 plays over the course of three months and point to one play and go, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and there were several other plays in this game that you could make the same argument for. Any of those field goals in overtime. Oh, my gosh. So one of the things I forgot is that I I knew there was some icing going on of of kickers. One of them was unintentional by UNC. I forgot that – what's their kicker's name? I can't remember. Brian Johnson. No, UNC's kicker. Uh, Ruggles? uh, Noah Ruggles? Yeah, Ruggles. Ruggles. You know, there was one where they committed a, uh, a delay of game mm-hmm. where he kicked the field goal successfully, which I believe would have won the game for them. And then we blocked it. No, the next no, no, one was – That would have put them ahead. That, was they a, were in, that, that, that would have put them ahead. Okay, that was a delay of game. They backed up and he missed the – that's the one he missed. That was a, so, so so in the third – after both teams trade the touchdowns, the fourth down, the third overtime was uh, when Coach Fuente calls timeout ice and then it was basically a chip shot he misses it sneaks it just past the right upright Mm -hmm. so the fourth overtime begins with that delay of game after he made he just got it okay thank you and then there was the block to begin which set up virginia tech then tech had a penalty Brian Johnson, I believe, made the first one before the ice. I believe so. And then yeah. he missed and then it. He missed it. Wide and right. I actually, watching the game down in Kiowa, South Carolina, I actually just laughed. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, of course well, I, he missed it. I mean, imagine being a neutral fan for that game and just watching it. Yeah. How enjoyable that was. Oh, been. yeah, that was great. Yeah. It was enjoyable from a Virginia Tech standpoint once we actually won the game. Right. You know, you know what? So, so let's um, – it, it was a great game, and I thought that the the RSN crew that they did a really good job. I'm not going to say they were ESPN at their prime level, but they did an excellent job. Well, I, let, let me let me let me ask you guys this question: At the end of three overtimes, if somebody had come up to you and said, "I'll give you a tie right now," will you take it? Mm, probably. No. <laughs> I probably would have too. Yeah, because I well, thought in I terms think, of I think, the coastal race, though, would you well, still do it? Uh, I'm not so much thinking about the coastal races. I'm just, I am winning just and losing. not losing to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Um, as, as much as I enjoy beating them, I think I would hate losing to them even worse. Yeah. I, I've actually had the chance to meet the play-by-play guy, Tom Wormy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an exceptional guy and uh, I'm really a big fan of his, and I thought he was fantastic uh, on the play-by-play for that game. So I mean, I mean, I, you know, we watched that crew that did the Tech Miami game. That was an ESPN crew, and they didn't do nearly as good right, a job yeah. as, as a, that uh, – Raycom slash RSN crew did. Yeah, you know, obviously I didn't. I was at the game, and then I only watched the condensed version. But I thought it was. I thought the it was good from what uh-huh. I saw in the condensed version. So after after to wrap things up quick, I want to get to the Facebook. We're going a little bit over today, but that's we're not going to go six overtime. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, so after Johnson misses the field goal wide right, I saw this on Twitter. You know how ESPN, if you have the game up on on, on the app, it gives you the win percentage for right. both teams at different right. points. After he missed the field goal wide right. North Carolina's win percentage went to 100. percent What? It's that, a it's a flawed model. That was the fourth overtime, right? I was at, now it could have been a mistake. That's but I, I saw a screenshot that's a, that's of it. a glitch it's, or a flawed formula. It's, it's just it's just 100 percent North Carolina. So doesn't make any so, sense. So yeah, that's right. Maybe it was a glitch. Nothing but can be 100. percent I remember when I was a kid. Um, I stayed up till three o'clock playing video games one night because the the weather said. 
It was a 100% chance of 10 inches of snow the next day. I, I woke up, my mom wakes me up the next day and she said, time to go to school. And I'm like, what? Where's the snow? It didn't snow at all. So, so much for your 100% chance of snow. So ever since then, I've never seen anything higher than like a 90% chance of snow on, the, right, on TV. Right, I think, yeah, they learned from their mistake. Anyway. So uh, what I thought was really interesting too, by the way, so uh, the stands are still pretty full at Lane Stadium. Then the referees, I see them huddle. After the fourth overtime, and I'm like, that's weird. I haven't huddled before. And the head, the head official comes on the mic, and everyone stops talking in lane because nobody knows what's going to happen. Strange. Was that not so strange? Uh, it, it was. It was the referee. Will, you could hear a pin quiet, drop. Huh? You, could, it, it, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody knew who was going to happen right, next. Right. I mean, everybody sees the ball put at the three-yard line, and everybody's like, what in the world is going on? Then the ref starts talking, and everybody in the whole stadium shuts up. It was just <laughs> odd. Well, because nobody knew. And again, so last year, if you remember, LSU and Texas A&M went to, I believe it was eight, seven, seven, seven overtimes. Yeah. And so they all came together and said, that can't happen again. So now it's conversions. It's not even touchdowns. Right. And uh, so the fifth overtime, both teams – don't score. Well, now, did you see what Trey Turner said about that? No, I did not. Yeah. He said, he said, I was confused. I don't know the rules. We're running out there. And I'm like, why are we lining up at the third yard line, the, the three yard line? And then he said, and after we didn't get it, they had to tell me to come off the field. He didn't know. It was he thought they were going to keep. They were going to get another shot at it. You know, he had no idea what was like, going and on. And the coaches went over the rules, the new overtime rules of the players before the season started. You know, back in the preseason, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. It's not like you you keep reminding them of it every week because you're expecting to have six overtime game, right, right? right um so i'm sure some of them remembered it and some of them didn't trey clearly did not <laughs> trey clearly did not, and I, I didn't either yeah uh, I'm, I'm in fact i don't even remember remember if i knew it in the first place i think i vaguely recall seeing an article with the headline new overtime rules but then i didn't read the article right yeah because nobody thinks it's gonna happen and so listen in those overtimes when north carolina gets stuffed twice have to give credit to where credits do that set it up Khalil Ladler staying home on the pitch to the near side. That, that was phenomenal. It's 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 should be the easiest play to make mentally. I mean, you don't bite on the fake to the opposite side of the field if you're lined up over here, right? But you see guys do it all the time, right? Um, but he had his responsibility. That was his man. And North Carolina hardly ever lines up under center, so. When, when you see them line up under center, you, you know something kind of different is coming. Um, and he had outside contain there. Um, and what you ideally want to do is, you know, just make sure that running back doesn't get outside of you and the help defender should be closing in from the inside. Um, he did it even better. <laughs> you know, he actually made the tackle himself. Mm-hmm. Ideally, what you want to do is force him back inside to, to, to the inside help. He did it even better. He made the tackle himself and didn't even give the inside help a chance to get there. You know, he, he went in high. He, he, didn't, he didn't come in low and, and take – it was Carter. He didn't take I Carter's Carter. legs out from underneath him. And he went in high, and knowing how those guys break a lot of tackles, I, I've gone back and watched that play, and, I, and I've wondered – if Carter had broken that tackle, would the other guys have gotten there in time? Right. I, and, I think and, he would have scored. I'm yeah, I'm not sure they would have gotten there in time. Yeah. So that was, was that was critical. Yeah, and that's a tough play. You know, Michael Carter is a good athlete, a good Division One running back, and it's tough to tackle those guys in an open field yeah. in one on one situations. Now the good thing is he got to him 
basically before he had a chance to get turned upfield and make any kind of move. He got him before Carter started getting downhill, so to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's always very important to get running backs before they get their shoulders squared and start running down downhill. Yeah, and, and Fuente had an interesting comment. He said two of the hardest things to do in football are tackling the open field and blocking the open field. No I agree with that. Yep. And then that set it up, six overtime. And, and by the way, worth mentioning, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe I, I heard as they were moving the ball, getting ready for that six overtime, stick it in's playing in the background. I think so, yeah. And I think I heard that on the The television. roll to the left, Quincy – Quincy scores, two-point conversion, 43-41. And Sandman starts playing. The scene after the game it kind of reminded me of the, of the UVA game last year and how everyone just kind of erupted from the bench. Yeah. That was, a, I, th- I think, a sight you'll never forget being in the stands and seeing the reaction. Uh, you know, the, the reaction was a little bit delayed. And I remember watching the tape of people in the stands behind w- when he scored. And they're the, like, they realize they score, but they look around. And they're like, is the game over now? Is that it? Is, 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 is that it? Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. you know, like you said, the new rules they were kind of confusing if you haven't experienced them before. So it was a slight delayed reaction, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a great moment um, for a season when you have such a bad home schedule. I mean, think about it. Think think about it. Years from now, we're gonna are we gonna be talking about how? bad the 2019 home schedule was or are we going to be talking about man oh yeah that was that year yeah. where where we played unc and it went to six overtimes and what a classic game that is this, this is turning into quite the rivalry oh over time you know yeah. well real quick do you think this game 10 years from now we will look at this game as the way that maybe some view like the the the, 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 the well if i can say nebraska nebraska tech game or one of those legendary games. do you think we'll remember this 10 15 years from now? oh I think, I think absolutely so. yeah yeah no, no question i mean that that's certainly one of the best football experiences i've had in lane stadium as far as the quality of the game and i was sitting there thinking during the game i'm like what am i going to write about if we lose and i don't think i would have said a lot different if we had lost because those six overtime games, man, they're so random. They're a crapshoot. But, but both both teams have done so much to win the game. Both teams have done so much to lose the game at, at right. some point. You know, one of those field goals goes in for UNC. We're talking about how depressing it is to lose such a classic nail biter like that. But I don't think that it wouldn't change any of my feelings with regards to how Quincy played, the decision to play him, how hard the team played, uh, their mental turnaround since the Miami game. So, like, the things I feel about the team wouldn't have changed, but it would have just been uh, been disappointing. Yeah, I mean, if one. Khalil Ladler had missed that tackle, UNC would have won. Right. Because, because Virginia Tech had failed right. to, uh, you know, they'd thrown a fade that didn't work out. That was going to be a game winner. Mm-hmm. And if Carter had broken that tackle and scored, it would have been disappointing. But Fuente said after the game, words to the effect of, you know, win or lose, I'd be up here saying the same things. And that's what Chris and, 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 and he's right. He's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I do want to get to the questions. But worth bringing up, and you said this before the podcast, this has been a rivalry as it's turning into that. I mean, Fuente has won every year he's played North Carolina. Mac Brown just got the number two overall defensive end, um, number one player in the state of North Carolina, a five-star. Uh, number 22 in the country, five-star defensive end. Just, and, yeah. and he's recruiting the state of North Carolina well. So this And Sam Howell, I do want to bring his – I don't want to necessarily – talk about but 26 of 49 348 yards five touchdowns no picks 
he's going to be there for a couple more years. So is this something that can really start to form into more than just a rivalry? I mean, yes, and and I think so. Here's here's what's going on. You know, Virginia Tech's got a lot of good young talent. UNC's got a lot of good young talent. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see some excellent football games for the next two or three years. But what's happening on the North Carolina end that's not happening currently on the Virginia Tech end is North Carolina is recruiting very well. You mentioned the commitment from the uh, five-star defensive end down to North Carolina. Go to 247sports.com and pull up the state rankings for the state of North Carolina and look at how many of those guys UNC is getting this year. Uh, we will have Ox on Twitter update his chart that shows all of the recruits in the coastal. And Miami and UNC are dominating coastal recruiting this year. Every single one of Virginia Tech's commitments this year is in the bottom half. There may be one exception, is in the bottom half of coastal recruits. So that doesn't bode well for two or three or four years down the road. Uh, you know, if, and, and these things. I don't want to. Last get, year was the opposite. It was Miami and Tech with almost everybody in the, yeah, in the top yeah. half. Yeah, and know? so, so just kind of store that one away. This is going to be a good rivalry for the next few years, but uh, I think the the talent it, it might yeah. swing. The 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 twenty twenty class for Virginia Tech standpoint. I mean, who knows how the, how they'll work out? But but just from a ranking standpoint, it's going to be a lowly art class for Virginia Tech. The key is getting that turned around for the twenty. 21 class and just let it be a one-year thing because it's such a small class because it's a small class might not be end up being a very big deal you just can't have it be back-to-back classes yeah well there were a lot of uh, recruits in the stands at lane stadium on saturday for north carolina and virginia tech so there were uh let's do this uh let's take a well-deserved timeout here on the tech sideline podcast when we come back i'm sure we've got some questions to get to on facebook and i'll ask the question to will and chris Who's Tech's starting quarterback moving forward? That's all coming up on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. So glad everybody could join us today on Monday, October 21st. We recap Tech's six overtime win against North Carolina. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes, and we shift our attention now to the best producer in the land. Malcolm <laughs> Stewart, what's going on, my friend? We're doing all right. Before we say anything, I just want to say I'm so glad we beat UNC. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching that. So am I. <clears throat> I was down in South Carolina, and after the fourth overtime, we had the first possession and missed the field goal. They cut to Mac Brown, and he's, like, tearing off his headset and high-fiving all his players, and I had a, I had a visceral reaction to that. So I'm glad we won. Yeah. <laughs> I want to 4-0 against UNC now. Yeah. 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 All right, so – uh, let's start. If Hooker stays healthy, I'm not sure what's up with his leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Quincy Patterson possibly become second string? I I think pulling Willis in the middle of that game after he made basically back-to-back plays where he took a sack when he didn't have to. Yeah. And he had plenty of time to throw the football away. And on one of those plays, I think he even had a guy running open over the middle of the field and he just didn't see him, which kind of sums up the entire Ryan Willis era in my opinion. He just doesn't see the field well. 
talented player, which is why it's tough to pull the plug on him because you just wait for the light to come on and then it doesn't come on. But you know, I think they're I think they're done with that now. So, and I think it's easier to game plan with Hooker and Quincy as your top two quarterbacks because you can design very similar game plans around those two. Whereas if Willis is one of those quarterbacks. It, it re- requires a different game plan. I right? feel like it just closes off so much of the playbook. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think, yeah, Quincy's number two now, in my opinion. And if and if Hooker can't come back, then Quincy starts against Notre Dame. Real quick to follow opinion. that up before he asks another one. If Hendon is healthy, Hendon Hooker is QB one yeah, of his yeah, team, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's done enough at this point where he's he has earned that. Um, now, the, and the, the, only, the only thing that can – you know, throw that into, you know, questioning is if, you know, with two weeks to prepare for Notre Dame and Virginia Tech designing an offense possibly around Quincy Patterson, if he goes out there and has a good game against Notre Dame, you know, that maybe, maybe that causes you to question it a little bit. But but that would be a good problem to have. That would be a very good problem to have. But, yes, as far as I'm concerned right now, Hooker's number one, definitely – and Patterson is number two, definitely. With with regards to Hooker's uh, injury, it, it looked bad. Um, and I, I watched him. He walked over to the UNC bench after the game to talk to Sam Howell, and he was limping pretty badly. Yeah. Now, I've heard that Tech thinks it's probably just hyperextended. Ugh. I don't think there's any ligament damage or anything like that. Hyperextended knee or whatever does not sound fun, but it's better than, like, a torn ACL or ligament damage or something yeah. like that. I don't think he's going to play against Notre Dame. That's that's my personal opinion. Could be wrong, um, but I do. My gut feel is that he'll be back at some point. I just don't know when. His game though is so much involved in the running game that you don't want to bring him back in, until he's a hundred percent, right? Yeah. I don't see the point of having Gimpy Hendon Hooker. Is your quarterback if he can't use all his full strengths? Coaching staffs have done it before, though. They've done it before. I mean, Tech tried to do it with with Michael Vick at, yeah. down in Miami in two thousand, and it just yeah. it, it, it didn't work. But but Fuente said after the game, he said, "I don't think there was any point in having him out there if he can't use his full arsenal." Okay. Well, he did say at one point on the uh, on the post game, he actually thought that there was a chance he would come back in the he second. He thought Hendon was going to play, and Hendon Google got in second half. Uh, second half, excuse Sorry, me. That was uh, my bad. Uh, Hendon got in the stretching line and then fell out very quickly. All right. Yeah. Do you you remember who asked that question, Malcolm? Yeah, I forgot. It was Eric Fisher. Okay. Okay. Yeah, classic. Um, Tom Dunnington, this game was great to watch from a fan's perspective, being we had a favorable outcome. How bad did Hokie Nation need a game like this in lane after the Duke game? Because the Miami Miami game was good, but it wasn't here. It wasn't wasn't at lane. and. I said when, after Fuente's first couple of years, you know, Tech only lost one home game in each of those years. And, and I think from where they were losing a lot of home games at the end of the Beamer era, I think the first two years of the Fuente era was very refreshing for the fan base because they got to come back and see a lot of success at home. And I right. think the fan base needed that. And then last year, not so much, right? And then Duke happens this year, so... You're like, yeah, we're kind of going back to where we were at the end of the Beamer era playing bad games at home so yeah i think that was definitely needed and it was needed in as in the schedule home schedule's bad right um i sat in the front row for the second half uh there were three of us total two seats in one section and one seat in another so i ended up with a single for the second half and all those seats down there were bought on StubHub the night before the game 
the people around me said they bought them. I, I know this, the ticket I was sitting in got bought the night before the game. The two people to my left were bought before the game, and the person to the right who was sitting by himself was a Carolina fan. So there was four seats all in a row right there that were bought on StubHub the night before the game. So you have Tech fans paying a lot of money to get these tickets, and then they're selling them on StubHub, right? And that's not good. And I, I and, and these are big donors, obviously. Front row, 40-yard yeah, line. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, if you feel like you don't even want to come to games, the biggest game of the year, the biggest home game of the year, if you don't want to go, you'd rather sell it on StubHub. First of all, maybe you need to reevaluate whether you actually should be throwing your money into season tickets like that if you don't want to come to the biggest game. Second of all, what does that say about the mindset of the fan base of, oh, I'm not going to go to this game? It's a Saturday afternoon 3.30 game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would definitely would say the fan base needed a game like that for sure. And 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 the other thing that makes me wonder is, I, I guess those were the the donors and fans putting their tickets on StubHub. I don't know. It gets into that whole discussion of are these things we're hearing about truly sellouts or is Tech? Is it? I don't know the deal between Tech and StubHub. Right. I don't think they're truly sellouts because it's it's always. Those top seats in the in the south, south end south. zone are empty, and that's that section in the east stands, uh, southeast section of the east stands. Some of that is visitors section tickets, but some of those they're like the last tickets nobody buys during season ticket sales. So, so is is it a is it a sellout in air quotes because StubHub said yeah we'll take the last fifteen hundred tickets at five dollars per right. Hey, we sold out. Right. Mm, I don't know. You know, yeah, somebody's somebody needs to sit down with Wit or Brad Worthman and, the, the, and, the, and the, grill them. The, Not were, that they'd answer. There were enough empty seats in the south end zone, even during peak game, even during you know middle of the second quarter when everybody should be in the stadium. There were enough empty seats where you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that not every one of those tickets. Every seat in the stadium actually got purchased. Especially when they're clustered like that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And yeah. we've seen that at basketball games, too, where it's yeah. announced as a sellout and there's a giant block of empty seats in, in one section. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. All right, Malcolm. All right. Sherrod, uh, Sherrod, Tatum. Um, assuming a loss at South Bend and a win at Georgia Tech. I'm not sure you can assume a win at Georgia Tech anymore. <laughs> Uh, which of the other games, Pitt, Wake, UVA, do we have the best chance of winning that, that, to make it to a bowl? That's a good question. And let me point out that we're 5-2 and two and we're all happy to be 5-2, and two, especially where we were after the Duke game. But let's also remember that Miami is a 3-4 and four football team, and now North Carolina is a 3-4 three three football, football team. team. Right. Tech's toughest schedule is coming up. Notre Dame is a playoff contender. Uh Wake Forest is six and one. I do not feel good up. about Wake. R- right, I don't uh, feel good about that. One. Uh, you know, it's 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 so hard to say. Like they're not good enough to blow anybody out, but they're not going to probably make mistakes to lose the game either. They're so experienced. Um, Georgia Tech. I'm glad Georgia Tech beat Miami, of, of course, because you know why would you ever root for Miami over Georgia Tech unless it helps Virginia Tech? But I feel like you know Georgia Tech is probably one of those one and seven teams in the ACC this year. They just, I mean, their offense is dysfunctional. They scored two points against Temple. I think they got their one win out of their system against Miami. Well, we hope so. And, and so the, I think the chances just went up. Just from a pure percentage standpoint, if you throw math at it, I think Virginia Tech's chances of beating Georgia Tech just went up because Georgia Tech just beat Miami. I think that's fair. 
Keep in mind, Georgia Tech lost to the Citadel. They saw lost to the Citadel. So, so anyway, the, qu- the question was, where are the wins going to come from? Where the, so, uh, if, right. if you want to talk about Pitt, Wake, and UVA, I, th- I think the – I know people aren't going to like to hear me say this. I think the least likely win out of those three is Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's in Lane Stadium. but Over Pittsburgh. Uh, Pitt, Pitt's well, offense is bad. <laughs> yes. But their defense is brutally physical. And they, they are a physical team. Yeah, but Virginia Pat Tech Narduzzi. has looked more physical. But, well, it's, yeah. am, it's amazing how much, how, when you look, how much more physical you look when you start the right quarterback. Everybody starts to gain confidence. When they play hard. Right, and, right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would put them in order. Wake. And honestly, I don't know between Pitt and UVA which is more likely a win. Yeah, uh, you know, UVA can look awful one week and then, you know, look what they did to Duke. Like, Duke always plays bad against UVA. They always turn the ball over a bunch against UVA. Uh, I don't think you can apply the transitive property of football y- y- to that one. No, no. <laughs> I mean, this is the Coastal Division. And, and if somebody called this on Twitter, they called it the, the complete circle of suck or something like right. that yeah. in the Coastal Division where everybody you, can, you be- can just start at the top and say, this team has beaten this team, and it goes all the way around in a complete circle now. And I put it in my in my Sunday article yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, man, I was going to, like, go to the mall and get a Magic 8 ball to make our predictions. For no, us. that's right. We, we should probably it. do it. Yeah. <laughs> probably, we should probably just order one off of uh, – Spencer Gifts might have him. Is Spencer still in I'm the sure, mall? Uh, probably. Spencer's I'm sure in every mall, right? Yeah. They're hanging on. We could just download a – Magic Eight Ball app. Nah, that's phone. not fun. <laughs> what? Maybe one more, Malcolm. Anything else? A uh, <laughs> uh, couple people are wondering about Taj Gary. I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the backup tailback situation. Dalton Keene. Now let's play the "If I Had Told You" game. With the, <laughs> if I had told you Virginia Tech would be down to their third quarterback, if I had told you Dalton Keene would be the backup tailback, if I told you all this stuff before the game. Caleb Farley would get hurt. Caleb Farley yeah, would get hurt. The, the tech would be minus Chimari two. Connor would margin. get burnt. <laughs> right. If I told you all that before the game, would you have predicted a Tech win? Two missed field no goals chance. in overtime. Crazy that Dalton Keene is Virginia Tech's backup tailback now. And I think if they were going to play Todd Gary, they would have played him against North Carolina. Uh, or if they were going to burn his red shirt, they would have done it against against North Carolina. Well, uh, uh, Fuente said something after the game about the packages with uh, uh, Quincy and, and Dalton Keene. Apparently, well, that's, they just they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, know. plus Quincy's going to run it a lot, and you want uh, Dalton to be the lead blocker. Well, you saw if you go back and you watch that 53-yard touchdown run, watch Dalton Keene out there. Right, and and, the, and, and and oh, by the way, right before that play, Keene is, is in the backfield with Quincy, and then he runs up and lines up at the uh, outside tight end position, then makes a great block. Yeah, uh, you could kind of consider him maybe Quincy's personal protector, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and that touchdown run, the two-point conversion run to win the game, was the exact same play as the 53-yard run, except it was just run to, to the, the left other side. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, what, that's what Quincy said after the game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad Kashawn King has a bye week now. So he missed this game and now has a bye week to get healthy. Um, Deshaun, and and Jalen Holston at some point. Deshaun yeah. Crawford's going to get healthy. Yeah, uh, we hope exactly. They actually played Jaden Cunningham in this game, by the way. Did they really? Yes, they did. What I, number is he? Uh, Ninety-two. Um, I have not gone to PFF to look up see how many snaps he played, but I saw him out there on at least two possessions. Yeah, awesome, great stuff on Facebook. Last thing I'll say too, it did seem like Austin Cannon. Played a, a majority on the uh, on offensive well, yeah, he, play, play, he played the whole game. The game. He, he had a good game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's an interesting battle now when Lucita Smith come, comes back because uh, I saw Cannon, Smith celebrating with the fans after the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
it was just a brief moment, but he didn't look gimpy. Right. He was hopping up and down. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I, I saw him celebrating in the Rhode Island game, and he was hopping up and down. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they just think Austin Cannon's a good player, and they're, they're, he's their new starter. I don't know. Well, well we do. We do I have guess. a picture of him carrying the meat tenderizer. Yeah, yeah. Or is that Hudson? We may have a picture of each. That's other. Hudson. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah, for sure. The way I'll close the podcast here again is the Terra Gnome. The Terra Gnome. Unbeaten. Unbeaten. Undefeated. Well, and he's, he's going to remain undefeated through the bye week. That's right. And then, he's got, then, he, then he's got his biggest challenge today. Well, he's he's going to try to get some turf. Look at him. He's so thing. happy, man. He's just yeah. chilling. He's, he's, gonna take his, he's going to Notre Dame with us, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. I need to get a lunch pail that opens. So, so if Tech wins on the road, we can put a little grass in there. Well, listen, I know this is maybe one of our longer podcasts ever, but certainly a lot to unpack in a six-overtime win for Virginia Tech. That'll just about do it for us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Uh, I know it's a bye week coming up. Does that change anything content-wise on TechSideline.com? Yeah, uh, actually. last Last week I promised a Monday article on Tuesday and didn't deliver. Because we had to prep for UNC, and then I had to go out of town on Thursday, so I just I just bailed. Uh, my Monday article will come out on Tuesday this week. Um, basketball media day is tomorrow, and it basically lasts all afternoon, so it'll be some kind of basketball preview on Wednesday. Yeah, as well. So, uh, so yeah, the content will be slightly different this week. Obviously, there will be no game preview. Um, there will be a little bit of added basketball coverage. I'm, I'm going to do something. I just don't know exactly what yet. Fantastic. All right. Well. Guys, this was fun. Looking forward to the podcast on Wednesday. Hope everybody can join us around 9.30 in the morning. And and that'll do us for uh, us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. For our fantastic producer behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder, and the head honcho, Will Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes, proud podcast host of the Tech Sideline Podcast, saying so long. Thanks so much for recapping Tech's win over North Carolina. Hope you can join us on Wednesday. This has been the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm.